morning from John chapter 14, verses 5 through 11. I'll give you a second. Verse 5 says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, "Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us." Jesus answered, "Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, "Show us the father"? Don't you believe that I am in the father? And that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning and for each and every person that's here today, Lord. And I just pray a blessing on them. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be evident in our lives and in our hearts and allow us to just listen to his speaking to our hearts this morning, Lord, in the message. And Lord, that we understand that you are in, Jesus is in you and you are in him, Lord, and that he is our Savior and therefore we are a part of you. We thank you for it this morning. Amen. Mary, thank you. Appreciate you leading us this morning. And uh, we're continuing our series uh, going through John's Gospel. Kind of feel like when we started this book, uh, I felt like we were starting to climb Mount Everest. And uh, this is um, chapters uh, really 14 through 17. Uh, I don't know if they're the uh, the summit, but they're... They're definitely way up the mountain. And I just feel like the passage that Mary just read is one of those. Well, I just personally as reading it this week. I think I probably read this passage 50 times this week and probably had 50 sermons. And then I listened to something and there was just a word that came to my mind and it was the word personal. And there's something so very personal and basic about this message and, and about this passage that I, I think the complexity of, of, of some of the language, even, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, could be missed. And I just want to, I think, take us through something which, that I believe is very basic. By the way, if you would like some sermon notes, the ushers have copies. If you didn't get them on the way in, raise your hand, and uh, they'd be happy to, uh, to get you a copy. Um, we are, in this... Uh, 14th chapter, we are getting a backstage pass into the upper room. Uh, it's after the Last Supper. They are, uh, they've been getting news from Jesus that they really didn't like to hear very much. Jesus has predicted that he is going to be going away. There is the, uh, the threat of the cross, the threat of arrest. And this is why Jesus begins in chapter 14 in verse 1. And he says to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. And so he's beginning now to console his closest friends on earth. 
and to tell them some of the things that are going to be happening. But he's also giving them some information that they're going to need to know both now and in their future. And have you noticed that when you are very stressed, when we get in over our head in life, and that's where the disciples are that night in the upper room, they are under the pressure cooker of life. It's an emotional, spiritual pressure cooker like they've never experienced before. At this moment, nothing really bad has happened, but there is this fear. There's this intensity. The Lord Jesus, his tone has even changed. He is he's talking uh, almost in, in a sad tone. And as he begins to look forward to the cross. And they notice there's something different. And have you noticed that in our lives when we we have the intensity, the moments, the things that are just not going right in over our heads, we tend to do what we tend to focus on that which is causing our problem, or at least that which we think is causing our problem. It, it, it sort of gives us this tunnel vision. And I believe that is kind of what is happening in the uh, minds of the disciples there. They're, they're beginning to see really how this is going to affect them. And Jesus begins to open up their perspective. And we, we saw this principle last week, and we continue there, that, that it's this, that we overcome stress, not when God removes our problems, but when we receive His perspective. Now that word perspective, it's probably not a very, it's probably not the the strongest word and might be a a little too weak. Because I think sometimes, you know, if you say the word perspective, you might think, well, we just need to see things from a different angle. Maybe we just need to, you know, walk in another man's shoes. No, what, what Jesus is about to do to, for the disciples and has been doing is giving them a revelation. So when we say perspective, we're, we're thinking revelation. He is going to open their minds to some things that they hadn't seen before. And we saw last week one of the, the, the two things that, that Jesus reminded them about and we need to be reminded about is this, that number one, we need an eternal perspective. Because in him we have the hope of eternity. That's what we saw last week. If you missed the message, go ahead and, and download it or check out the podcast on the website. And this morning we come to see that we need another perspective. We need a relational perspective, a relational perspective, because in Christ we have a personal relationship with God. Now, as I look around the room, some of you are probably going, duh, I know that, you know, I've been I've been a Christian most of my life. Maybe this is news to you. Then this message is for you. But if you've been walking with Jesus all your life, I'm going to cover some what I think are some foundational basics this morning that are so important that sometimes we forget even or take it for granted some of these most basic things. Thomas and Philip, they have a concern. It's a common concern. Thomas says, Jesus, show us the way. Show us. Because Jesus has just said, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to prepare a place. You know the way. And he said, what do you mean? We don't know the way. Show us the way. And Philip says, wait wait a minute. Jesus, just all this metaphorical language. Would you just show us the Father? Just come on. Decloak it all. Just, Just show us. And, and I think there's this mounting frustration as Jesus is explaining, and they're missing something so very basic. Show us the way. Show us the Father. And this is the stunning revelation. I am the way to the Father, Jesus would say. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
If you have uh, your Bible open, underline the word uh, where it says, if you really uh, knew me, you'd know my father as well. Underline those words, knew and know, or see and seen. These are powerful words. You know, Jesus constantly spoke about his father. The disciples knew that. And he has just told them that he's going to his father. And that they too would be going to the father. And so the logical question for them is, how? How? How can we see the father? And here's the stunner. The stunner is this. You've already seen him. Huh? What? Why is that so stunning? Why is that so surprising? You see, I think it has completely challenged their very concept of who God is. It has has completely challenged their concept of who God is. And this morning, I want to challenge your concept of who God is. Because we, we, we sometimes, very often, most of us, have this picture in mind about who God is. And if you describe God and I describe God, we might describe someone who's a little bit different. We probably would both have some truth in how we might describe it. But they're missing something. There's something stuck in their head. Have you ever been in a situation where you developed an opinion about someone, maybe even wrong information about somebody, but you just can't seem to shake it? You just it's there. And it just is what it is. For example, um, there's a, a person that I see uh, weekly. It's not n- nobody here in this church. And uh, we'll just call him his name. We'll say we'll call him Bob. That's not his name, but we'll call him Bob. And uh, Bob is an elderly gentleman, a very sweet man. And uh, the first time I met Bob, I, wa- I, I, I walked up and I said, hi, uh, good morning. And he said, oh, hi, my name is Bob. And, and your name is? And I said, my name is Chad. And we got acquainted. Well, the next week when I saw him, uh, he says, good morning. I said, good morning, Bob. And he says, well, good morning, Jim. To which I said, oh, I'm sorry. My name is my name is Chad. And he goes, oh, that's right. Good morning, Chad. How you doing? Next week, walked in. Good morning, Bob. He says, good morning, Jim. <laughs> Chad, it's Chad. Oh, that's right. Morning, Chad. Next week. Morning, Bob. Good morning, Jim. It's like, you know, Bob, my friends, they just they call me Jimmy. (laughs) It's like, I'm just like, let's just go with it. I, I didn't say that, but I wanted to. And so from now on, I, I know that to Bob, I am going to be Jim. <laughs> and, you know, I think that this is a little bit of what's happening here in the upper room, that these gentlemen have fixed something in their mind about who God is. And Jesus is trying to dislodge a perception in their minds. What do you know about God? Who is he? What's he like? Is he this invisible force or power that sort of transcends human understanding? Is he uh, that life force that fills and sustains the universe? You know, that life force that's in the trees and in the grass and that little birdie out there 
and, you know, in you. And, and, and that's very popular in the Northwest, by the way. That's an understanding of God. It's a very uh, animalistic, sort of naturalistic understanding of who God is. Maybe he's the cosmic ruler, the rule maker, the taskmaster, the authoritarian. What is he like to you? Now, the disciples had an opinion about God. They knew something about God. In fact, they knew the God of the Old Testament. And to a Jewish man, God is the Lord of the universe. He's a righteous judge. Yes, he's compassionate. He's very forgiving even. And the God of the Bible we see, particularly in the Old Testament, is very involved in the affairs of men. But here's the one thing that is preeminent of all things. And that is, we sung it today, that he is holy. And so to the Jewish mindset, the holiness of God was so incredible that if you were to get close to God in any way, he would kill you. His glory is that powerful. Our God is a consuming fire. And so we see throughout the Bible the need for these prophets, third-party individuals to come and, and speak for God. In fact, when Moses was on the mountain, if you go back and we see they didn't want to talk to God face to face. They're like, send Moses. We, you know, if you're going to kill somebody, kill him, you know, but and, and because of the holiness of God. And so the idea of a, of a God who is knowable, approachable and relational, a person, this concept is completely foreign to the men whom Jesus is speaking to. Yet the irony is that God himself is literally speaking to them. And this explains the premise of Philip's very honest question. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you, for such a long time. Don't you know me, Philip? That question, I think, raises an issue. And it's this. How could Philip, a man who spent three years or more with Jesus, saw the miracles, heard the teaching, probably performed miracles himself, went out on missions trips, fed the poor, healed the sick, how could he go through all of this and then Jesus say, Philip, don't you know me? How is that possible? And, it, and I think the same is true for us. I think the same is true today because I've known that people can go to church, participate in ministry, know the Bible backwards and forward, express incredible emotions in worship and go to summer camp and have a mountaintop experience and still go through life and not know God. So what's the problem? What was Philip's problem? Why didn't he know Jesus? Why didn't Philip see the Father when he saw Jesus? I believe it's this, because Philip couldn't imagine God as a knowable person. It wasn't in his list of things possible. And Jesus is rocking their world. Now, we have, a, I think, in our Christian culture, sort of gone to the other extreme. You know, God is our buddy. 
You know, Jesus is a friend. He's a friend next to. I mean, I just remember singing the songs. And there's, I know this, the, 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 you know, we are a friend of God and all this. But there, he's not your buddy. But he is a person. He's a holy person. A relational person. And this has some implications. In fact, knowing God as a person is, I believe, the central theme of the New Testament. Because in the beginning, we see in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. The Word was with God. Literally an announcement that God has come in the flesh as a person to reveal Himself to us. And so, as we move forward this morning, we're going to be clear about three things. One is it's just the very central premise of God as a person, and then the problems associated with the idea that God is a person, and then I want to look at the promise. And here it is. The central premise is this. Three simple things. Number one, God is a person. I've said that before. <laughs> Number two, God is a person that we can know. God is a person that we can know. Now, I think a lot of people, even Christians, especially Christians probably, I think fail to grasp this fundamental principle. What do I mean? Well, I think if you could stand outside the average church today, maybe random different churches, and do a uh, sort of man-on-the-street interview with people, and you could ask them this question, uh, what, what is Christianity all about? I think you'd get a whole lot of different answers. Some might say, well, um, it's about following the teachings of Jesus. Okay, It's about a uh, revolutionary religious philosophy. All right? It's about loving people like God loves people. It's about finding godly solutions to personal and social problems. Okay? It's about forgiveness. It's about Jesus dying for our sins. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Most of those things, actually all of those things are true. But I don't think they answer the core question the way Jesus does. Look at John 17 and verse 3. That same night, he's with his disciples, probably now in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the prayer Jesus prayed. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you. Can you say that with me? That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. As I read that, I said, wait a minute. I thought eternal life was life that just went on forever. But notice the Lord's definition of eternal life isn't about the length of time that we exist or the length of time we endure, but the quality of life that we enjoy. And that quality is this. is that you would know the one true God. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. So you can learn a religious philosophy and not know God. You can busy yourself with church activity and not know God. You can read your Bible, attend a life group, have excellent theology, and never really know God, know God's heart. And you see, there's a dangerous consequence to this of not knowing God. And he says it's this, it's, it's missing eternal life. It's missing God. 
You know, we often speak about the cross and all of that in terms of him rescuing us. And I think that that is, is part of it. But you just need to understand it isn't that he's just wanting to keep you from from bad things like an eternity apart from him. It's his heart is he wants you and me. He wants to reveal his heart as a father to his sons. You see, the Bible speaks of God not as our boss. You see, if he's our boss, he can fire us, right? And I think we come to God that way. He is a father. He is our heavenly father. And a father does, can't fire his sons. You can't not be his sons. And he calls us sons and daughters. That is the relationship from which he has come. And that's the mindset. That is the number one idea. The concept of God is our father. And he, he does so in the context of relationship. Because we understand relationship. And since God is a person, since God is a person that we can know, to know him, we must interact with him as a person. We must interact with him as a person. And I believe that that might have been what was missing with Philip. Because in, Philip had something. Philip had information about God. Philip had information about God. But having information about a person and having a relationship with that person, they're very different, aren't they? See, there's two types of knowledge. You, you can have informational knowledge, which is, uh, you, you have informational, and you can have relational knowledge. Very different things. See, you can know something about a person, not actually really know the person. And some of you I know better because we've hung out. Some of you I don't know very well. But I know some things about you, but truthfully, we don't really know each other yet. Before I met uh, a particular girl, before I met this girl named Yvonne Nottingham, I actually knew a few things about her. She was 15. I knew that. I had heard she was a sophomore in high school. And I knew that she lived with her brother and her mother in Lake Oswego, Oregon. And I knew that she had recently lost her father to cancer. Those were the, the elements that I knew. And then when I met her, I learned a few other things. Two of them, in, in fact. Number one is she was stunningly beautiful and incredibly shy. Those were, the, those, were the, those were my first impressions. Beautiful and shy. But even so, I didn't know her yet. But it took over the next four years of courtship, of self-disclosure... Of her unzipping her soul and letting me in, and me unzipping my soul and letting her in, that give and take began to know her, and she began to know me. And that's a word that comes to mind, and it's this, it's intimacy, which, if you want to remember that word and what it means, it's in to me, see. And this here is a foundational premise of Christianity. It's not about a philosophy. It's not about a way of life. It's not a moral code. It's about a person. It's about a person. I just want to stop here for just a second because I think we are a, a, a Pentecostal church and that we, we, we have a very expressive form of worship. 
I didn't come from this kind of a worship style. I came from him singing and all of that. Both are good. Both are good. I personally prefer this style. You see me raising my hands and all this. One of the things I learned was that regardless of how we worship, we can still not know God if we come literally from an intellectual perspective where that's how I sort of knew God is really just sort of intelligently like you just read your Bible and, and you learned about God. And, and then I've seen now as I've, I've sort of become a little bit more expressive in my worship, I've been around churches like ours and, and all that. I've, I've noticed that there's this, also this temptation of mistaking relationship with God uh, as an emotional expression of worship. And understand, I don't think when we really get to know God, you can't, you're going to feel emotion. But man, we can manufacture it and pretend and make it make us feel like we're having a relationship. And what we're really doing is, is just manufacturing emotion. And we don't come to him as a person. We sort of maybe sometimes in worship come and, and see him as this far off entity that is distant and we sort of need to bring him here and what we need to understand is that he is here by the person of the holy spirit if you love jesus he is in your heart he has come he is in this place he is available and he is here and so when we sing and worship we're not singing out there we're, he's here amen he's a person and he's here and here's why it's so important to understand that god is a person I think this is the strand of, of truth that sort of unravels everything in the Bible. Have you ever had those bags of charcoal? Um, you know, or, or even dog, uh, dog food bags? And on top, they have that lace. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever done that? Aren't those fun to unravel? Well, here's the thing. For years, I would just kind of get frustrated and cut off the top because I didn't know how to unravel. Apparently, there's this one string that if you pull it, the whole thing just easily just and it opens up. And someone showed me that one time. You just pull a little string and you find it and it it opens right up. And I think this truth this morning that God is a knowable person is the strand that unlocks everything for us. Do you see why? Because so many times we're pulling at the wrong string in life. We're pulling it. We, we, we want to come to God that he'll solve my problems. And, and so what we really need isn't a person, but, but just a therapist. Or we come seeking uh, a religious philosophy because, you know, we like to study things. And what we really want is a professor and a lecture, not necessarily a person. And some of us come, we want to, we have questions. We want to know the mysteries of life. That's cool. But you might want a philosopher. Not a personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. But if you come to God and you come seeking a relationship with Him, that's the string that I believe unties everything. Just it just so opens up. You can read your Bible and come to it with all of these problems. You know, you might come down and sit down and, Lord, I'm just this, this thing in my family. I want to read stuff about 
about, oh, let's see, Ephesians says something about families, right? Ephesians 5, you know, oh, submit to one another. Oh, that sucks. You know, who wants to do that? You know, and, and, and we come to it and we think, oh, man, that's hard. And we think, well, this, this, everyone talks about this book as being this life-giving thing, and it just, it just seems hard. It's because you're looking for abstract truth instead of coming to a divine person and saying, please reveal yourself to me. I need you. Not facts. God is a person. To know God, I've got to interact with Him as a person. But you see, this presents some undeniable problems for us. Inescapable problems. You see, there's a reason many of us would rather pursue knowledge and philosophy or religion as it, the dues of religion. Many of us would rather pursue that than pursue a relationship with a holy God. Why? Because relationships are messy, aren't they? Relationships are messy. And you know what? We're not good at relationships. We mess them up. We, we look at our own relationships and we realize, wait a minute, I don't know how to do this. And so we bring this baggage sort of into a relationship with our holy God. And I realize, man, couldn't I just check off some boxes on the, on the to-do chart and, and be okay with you, God? And he says, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about you and me relationally that you would know and you would have my heart. Jesus would say, as you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you know, when you think about Christianity, I think one of the things that people don't like about it is it's just too personal. It's too personal. Because you know what? Relationships, by their very nature, they involve and require a loss of control. Have you noticed that? I'm try- Here's a good example. I tried to build a friendship with a pastor friend of mine. We have two things in common. One, we're pastors. And number two, we both like to fish. So we thought, oh, great, that's a good start for a friendship. Not so much. Because the, we've been trying to go fishing. We've probably tried, I don't know, eight, nine times to go fishing. We never have. You know why? Well, we had it lined up one day. We were all set. We had it on the calendar. It was ready to go. The night before, we call each other. Okay, I want to go to one river that I know, and I know where to fish, how to fish, and all this. And he has this other river in mind, and that's where he wants to go. And neither one of us would give up. I'm going to my river, and he said, I'm going to my river. And so we both went fishing that day on different rivers. Now, we respect each other as colleagues, but we're not really friends, at least not yet. Because we didn't want to give up some control. Relationships are scary. And this is why relationship with God is difficult, because to know him, I must relinquish control. And not only is Christianity, I think, almost too personal for some of us, it can be too offensive. And you'll, you'll hear the world, and sometimes even us will, will complain about some things. And, and we just consider the claims of Christ for a minute. You know, your college professors and your, your secular talking heads and 
people from different religious things, they'll talk about Jesus as this wonderful teacher. You know, and they love the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the turn the other cheek, forgive 70 times seven, all good stuff. And then we come to a verse like verse six. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, that's kind of narrow-minded, don't you think, Jesus? Who talks like that? Jesus said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I am the way. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection. I'm the good shepherd. You see, Jesus was unbelievably humble in his actions. But there wasn't a shred of modesty in his statements about himself. Because he knew who he was. He knew who his father was. He knew why he was here. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the father but by me. You know, if you heard someone talking like that today, someone like me, a religious leader or something like that, you'd think they were nuts. And if they had a church like this, you'd think they were dangerous. But here it is. And it's either true or it isn't. And... And we think, well, wait a minute, if he's the only way, what about all those good people who've never heard? Isn't isn't this like exclusive? Too exclusive? And, you know, I think a lot of us respond to a statement like that or a question like that. And 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 the, the natural reaction for some of us is, well, God said it, I believe it, get over it. I mean, that's one way. But I think that really misses the heart of the relational context that we find in the New Testament. And I love what the author and pastor Tim Tim Keller pointed out. Because he pointed out that a claim like that really only makes sense in the context of a relationship. Because if Christianity were merely just some religious philosophy, that would be very narrow-minded, almost unfair. But if it is a relationship with a person, then we know that that relationships by their very nature are somewhat demanding and exclusive. What do I mean? Well, when people get married, they say to one another, I will marry you if I am your only husband. I am your only spouse. Do we think that's too restrictive? No, that's normal, isn't it? Because you're entering into a relationship with somebody. And you see, there's something about Jesus that says, listen, I am the way to the Father. I'm going to show you. But here's the deal. I am the only one. I'm the one who's coming into covenant with you. There is a marriage. That's another metaphor that we have in Scripture about the relationship between the Lord and his people as a bride to the bridegroom. And he's saying, I'm the only way to the Father. And I think it's God's way of saying, look, If you want to get to know me, get to know me on my terms, and here's the way. Here it is. If I said to you after church, I said, hey, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know you. And you said, sure, let's have coffee on Thursday. And I said, no, 
Let's do it right now. I want to get to know you right now. I don't get that right, do I? You like to have coffee and get to know people over coffee. That's the way you want to do it. You see, I believe that is what is happening. This God has chosen the Lord Jesus Christ himself to be the way to get to know him. And if I want to know God, he sets the terms. He says to us, this is how you get to know me. And we do that in relationships, don't we? Imagine the, 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 the professional football player. We're going to see a bunch of them today in the Super Bowl. And the Giants are going to win. Who knows? I know it's not going to be the Seahawks. But imagine the, the, the professional football player who is used to having beautiful women swoon over him. Right? But the one girl that catches his eye knows nothing about football or sports. Doesn't know a touchdown from a layup. But she says, you know, what really interests me is art and literature. Oh, and music. Classical music. So is that guy going to say to her, hey, here's what you need to do to get to know me. Uh, here's a book, Football for Dummies. Girl, when you, when you read this, there's a quiz. And after you pass the quiz, we're going to go and have a date. All right? No. He wants to get to know her. What does he do? He starts studying classical music, goes to a museum to study some art, reads a book. Why? Because she has given him an insight into the way into her heart. And his choice is he can take it or not. You see, with God, this is a sacred romance between him and his people. And he's inviting us inside. Jesus is the way, the only way. And so when you really get to know Jesus, one of two things happens. One is you're going to either love him or hate him. You see, if you just like him, then you don't really know him or you haven't got enough information. See, Jesus, if he had a Facebook, it wouldn't have a like button. You couldn't just like him on Facebook. It would either have love or hate if you really understood who he was. And for those who love him, here's this incredible promise, beautiful promise. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this answers the question, how will I know him? How will I know that I know him? It's when you see the Father. What does that mean? There's two words in the Greek that, were, that are used to describe that word see. One is the, word, the Greek word blepo, which literally means to see things physically with your eyeball. And then there's another one, it's harao, and it means literally to perceive, to understand. Blepo is, oh, I can see you. Harao is, oh, I see. I get it. And what Jesus is saying was, anyone who has seen me, you get the Father. You get it. You get it. When you understand me, you understand God. And this is the beautiful promise, that pursuing a relationship with Christ leads you to an understanding of God that changes you forever. 
intellectually, how you think, emotionally, how you feel, practically, is how you live, what you do. And it changes you. One of the reasons some of us aren't seeing change in our relationship with God is that we've stopped treating Him like a person. We have sort of been keeping Him as this theological force out there somewhere or this emotional presence that I sort of tuck into or touch into on Sundays. And He wants us to come to Him as a person. Have you noticed that relationships... Even short ones have a way of changing you. You see, when you're in relationship, it changes the people in the relationship. I mean, I think about one date with Yvonne, and it changed my life, changed the course of my history. If one date with a future spouse has that much impact. Can you imagine what a lifetime of following the person of Jesus Christ will do and change in you? So the question this morning is, do you know God? Do you? I sometimes wonder even myself, do you really know God? And if you don't this morning, what's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? Because I got to tell you, get rid of it. There's nothing worth keeping if it keeps you from knowing the God of the universe who has made it so available to us. To get to know her. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to have communion together. And